great to have Peter and Linda McLean with us. Especially great given that you were belting out that, that song, helping us along there. Well done. Thank you. We turn the, the scripture now together. We're still in the book of James. The end of the letter in sight now. We're on James chapter 5, uh, reading from verse 7. It's page 1216, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Amen. Father, we thank you for that compassion and that mercy. We thank you for who you are the one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. We thank you that we can live in the richness of that love, of your love, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that because of your love, your compassion, your mercy, your grace, all of which are ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we are able to meet with you, to experience the glorious reality of fellowship with you, to receive, to hear your words spoken into our lives. And so, Father, in the Weakness of my words, may we hear something of your voice. May we receive all that you would say to us with glad and with grateful hearts. And may we not be just hearers of the Word, but doers also. 
Father, we are so weak, but you are strong. We are so fickle, but you are faithful. We rejoice in who you are and in who you are to us in Christ. And so we say with Jesus, Abba, Father, we ask you to meet with us in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever wondered after you've sent an email if it will be read in the wrong way. I wonder if you've ever hit send and then as soon as you've hit that button and the email has gone, you've thought to yourself, I wonder if that sounds a bit short and sharp. I, I didn't mean it to be short and sharp, but maybe that's how it's going to sound. Maybe that's how it's going to be read. Or maybe the other way around. You've sent an email and you've thought, is that a bit too soft? Is that a bit too flowery? Is that inappropriate? Or maybe you've been the one who's received the email. And you've, you've read it wrongly. You've read the words correctly, but you've got the tone wrong. It's easy to do, isn't it? It can be difficult to read the tone of a text. So someone sends me a message. Ross, let's go for a coffee. And I read... Ross, let's go for a coffee. It can be difficult to read the tone of the written word. But I think I can say with some confidence that as we come into these verses, you know, the end of, of, of James on the horizon now, it seems to me that the tone softens somewhat. Even in these few verses, verse 7 to 11 of chapter 5, uh, three times James says, brothers, to the people to whom he writes, or brothers and sisters, if you've got the newer version of the NIV. Three times he reminds them of his identity. Remember James has this exalted position as a brother of Jesus. He has this exalted position as a leader of the church in Jerusalem. But first and foremost, I mean, these things are important, they matter, they are significant, but first and foremost, above and beyond all of these things, he sees himself simply as a brother to the people to whom he writes. And really the whole of the letter of James ought to be read in that way. Like an older brother looking out for his younger siblings. There are stern rebukes and stark warnings aplenty, but they all come from a heart of love. 
They all come from James because James wants the very best for his brothers. He wants them to avoid the dangers that surround them. And he wants them to be all that they can be, all that Christ calls them to be. That's true of James. And of course, God, who breathed out his word to his people, wants the very best for his children. He knows it's tough. He knows it often feels very unfair. He knows it can be trying and tiring to stay faithful, to stay true to Christ. But having just reminded them that the Lord will judge justly, James says, be patient then, brothers. And this is the word that comes to us from the Lord today into our 21st century lives. He says, be patient. How counter-cultural that would be in the 21st century world to have a patient people. We are living in a very impatient world. We live in a world where everything is expected to be quick or even instant. So a few years ago, it used to be if you wanted to get in touch with someone, you would phone them if they weren't in. You would leave a message on the answer phone and then you would wait until they got the message and decided to phone you back. Now you phone them, goes on to answer phone, so you put down the phone you know that not only did they have a phone in their house, they have a phone in their pocket, so you phone them on their mobile. Goes to answer phones, so you text them. No reply. So you WhatsApp them, and you know that when they read it, there's going to be those wee blue ticks, and so they're going to feel obliged to get back to you right away. You know, we, we live in a world where now when you, you take your photographs, you don't have to put them into boots and wait for three days or five days for them to be developed. As soon as you've taken them, you have them. We live in a world where if you have a pain, there is a promise of instant pain relief. You just pop a pill and it will take it all away. We live in a world which panders to our Impatience. Actually, we live in a world which fosters and feeds impatience. And into that world, into this world, into our world, the Lord says, be patient, brothers and sisters. But it, it's important that we remember, that we see that the patience of which James speaks is a specific type of patience. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. That then points us back to the preceding verses where James has spoken of injustice. He speaks of God's judgment against those who have not paid their workmen, verse 4, and those who have condemned and murdered innocent men, verse 6. And so the patience of which James speaks is patience in persecution. It's patience in the face of injustice. It's patience when life is not fair. 
It's what the King James Version calls long-suffering. It is faithful endurance. James isn't speaking of uh, waiting in a queue in Tesco patients. He's speaking of putting up with ill treatment because of your faith in Jesus. Patience. It's what the NIV goes on to call perseverance. It is standing firm when it would be so much easier to let go and to be swept along with the current of the wisdom of the world. Myself and Deborah have uh, started a devotional book on the Psalms. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. When Deborah read that, I thought, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be a branch that's dead and lifeless, just kind of carried along by the current floating downstream, offering nothing to anyone. I want to be the person who is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. I want to be a tree that offers shade and shelter to others. To be a tree that bears the fruits which it was created to bear. But it doesn't just happen, does it? We know that from James already. It doesn't just happen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Well, James, in, in chapter 5, doesn't use a tree to illustrate his point. He uses a farmer waiting for the rains to come and bring forth life. He has done what he has called to do. He has done what he is able to do, but he has to wait on the Lord to bring what he cannot bring, to do what he cannot do. And he waits with patience. He waits for the autumn rains, which come around the time of the sowing of the seed, and for the spring rains, which come just before the harvest. James says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Remember just how valuable that valuable crop is for the farmer. His life and his livelihood depend upon this crop. And not only that, but the, the lives and the futures of his 
family depend upon this crop. And yet he knows he has to wait patiently for the Lord to do what he cannot do. There, says James, is your example. So, a few questions. Firstly, who? Who are they waiting for? Who are they to be patient as they wait for his arrival? Well, they are waiting for the coming of the Lord. Uh, Verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. We are awaiting people. We are a bride waiting for her groom to come. I met with a, a couple, I was going to say a young couple, they're about my age. I think maybe, maybe I can still get away with that. I met with a young couple on, thank you, Mrs. McCracken. I uh, met with a young couple on Friday who are going to get married soon. And I said to the bride-to-be, there is green, there is amber, and there is red. Green is between on time and five minutes late. Amber is five to ten minutes late. Red is ten to whatever minutes late. I said green and amber are okay. Please don't go into red. Because I know what happens when it goes into red. When people aren't looking at that door, they're looking at me as if I can do something, as if I'm not panicking, just like they are panicking. How long does the bride of Christ have to wait for her groom to arrive? Well, the Bible's answer to that question is soon. Not long. But no one knows the day or the hour according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, Paul, and James all refer to the fact that he will come soon. Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has done since the beginning of creation. But, says Peter, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is patient, or He is, in the words of James, full of compassion and mercy. And so the door of grace has remained open for these 2,000-odd years, but He is coming, and it will be sooner than we think. Speaking of weddings, I've shared before that moment that that I I was in my kilt, in the car, heading to the church. I had known that it was coming. 
It was in the diary. It had been in the diary for two years. And yet when I was in that car, it was only then that it hit me, this is my wedding I'm going to. This is actually, really, truly about to happen. Fortunately, my mother-in-law had done all the planning and prep, and Deborah had done all the planning and preparation and everything was good to go. Um, but I was only ready because they had done the preparation for me. Well, for some of us, maybe that day that Christ will come again feels like it's out there somewhere, an irrelevance, because we know it's going to happen, but it'll be sometime way in the future. It doesn't make any difference what it does. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. Be ready. Be ready for that day to come. It will be sooner than you think. The judge, says James, is standing at the door. You cannot leave this to the last minute because this could be the last minute. So be ready. So who, when, and lastly, what? What does it matter? What difference should it make to me in the everyday realities of life? Well, firstly, don't give up. Even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when it's unfair, even when it's trying and tiring and draining, don't give up. Be patient and stand firm. Verse 8 you're nearly there. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Stay true, hold fast, press on, stand firm. And secondly, don't grumble against each other, verse 9. Imagine me, my wee brother Scott, years and years ago. Now, we, we got on actually very well back then and we do to this day. But imagine we're in a room and we're having a real go at each other. We're bickering, we're fighting, we can't even remember why, we're saying nasty things to each other. And then we hear a noise coming up the stairs, we know that it's mum. We hear her coming closer and we're saying all these nasty things to each other. Then we hear her hand on the door. What do we do? We stop because she's standing at the door and if she comes in and we're having this nasty fight with each other, she's going to give us into trouble. So we stop. James says to these believers that they are to stop grumbling against each other or you too will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Live your life in a way that makes sense given what you believe, given that you believe that Jesus is coming again to judge justly, that all of the deeds done in darkness will be brought out into the light of day. Live accordingly. Live in a way that makes sense. Don't indulge in petty gossiping and grumbling because at any moment, the Lord Jesus Christ could open the door and walk in. There is a time, of course, for disagreement as brothers and sisters uh, and false teaching 
and uh, ungodly living are not to be tolerated. But as for petty grumbling, petty gossiping, and it's usually these things that, that deaden the work and the witness of a church. Even usually these things that lead to a church splitting. Petty gossiping and petty grumbling must be laid at the feet of Jesus. Don't grumble against each other. Don't give up. And lastly, do enjoy fellowship with God. Verse 11, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. So, James offers not just the example of the farmer, but the example of the prophets that those to whom he writes knows so well. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. These prophets didn't have an easy life. They had a high and holy calling, and as those who had a high and holy calling, they had a very, very tough time. They proclaimed the Word of God as they sought to be true and faithful to Him. As they spoke a word which was spoken in love to the people of God, they were persecuted and hunted down, mocked and maligned and rejected. And yet the people of God consider them blessed. They at least knew the joy of faithfulness and of fellowship with God. And they have entered into that reward that is rightfully theirs. And then Job, who suffered so much, so unfairly, that his wife told him to curse God and die. But he didn't curse God and die. He struggled, he questioned, but he stayed true. He persevered, he endured. And in the end, he was richly rewarded for that perseverance by the God who sees and the God who cares and the God who will judge justly on that day. Blessedness is often translated happiness or joyfulness. It's life lived under the smile of God. It is maybe, we might say, fulfillment. Maybe that life in all of its fullness that, that Jesus speaks of in John 10. It's life that we all long for, really. We don't long for an easy life. Maybe we think we long for an easy life, but we don't. We long for a fulfilling life. The prophets, with all of the rejection they faced, all of the hardship, all of the suffering, all of the injustice, they knew what it was to hear from God and to do and to be that which God created them to do and to be. What can compare with that. 
And we, brothers and sisters, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who are Christians, we have a high and holy calling. And it will be tough at times. It will be unfair. It will be relentless. But it will be worth it. It will be worth it in the here and now because we'll get to experience that fullness of life that Jesus came to give. We'll get to experience fulfillment and peace that we could never experience without Christ Jesus. We'll get to be the people that we were created to be, to do the things that we were created to do. But it won't just be worth it, you know, in the here and now, We're looking forward to that day when Christ will come again. When every wrong will be put right. Where all things will be made new. When the judge will judge justly. When he will welcome us into the fullness of his presence. When he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And we'll get to live with God. And without sin and death, sorrow and suffering. These are the old order. This will have been swept aside. We look forward to that day. So let's live accordingly. Let's live as those who are looking forward to Jesus coming again. Let's live as those looking forward to the fullness of His presence. Let's live as those looking forward to justice for those who have been oppressed. Let's live as those who are looking forward to the rewards that will be given to those who have endured, those who have persevered in patient obedience. As those who are waiting for that inheritance which is ours, kept in heaven for us, in that place where it can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's live like that, to the glory of the name of our great and gracious God. Let's live like that for the cause of the kingdom of Christ Jesus, that we might see others come to faith in Him, come to experience this life that we can only know in Jesus. And let's live like that, knowing that there is joy in that life, even in the hardship, even in the struggles, even in the sorrow, there is joy. Let's live knowing that Christ will come again. Patient and persevering, firm and fruitful in the service of our King. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word to us this morning. We thank You for our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and who have left us a good and faithful example. We thank You for the prophets of old. We thank You for Job for all uh, that we see in his life, which points us to the life that we should be living. 
But above all else, Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Help us, Father, to fix our eyes on Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Encourage us, Father, in our patient perseverance as we wait for His coming. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's